We started a series in John's Gospel uh, a couple of years ago, I think it must have been now. So we worked our way through the first four chapters. We, we read through uh, John's Gospel, John's account of the life of Jesus. Uh, and uh, we've had a bit of a break from that. Now we're coming back to it um, with this great passage from chapter 5. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for your word. We thank you for the precious gift of your word to us. We thank you mostly for your ultimate and perfect full word, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your written word that you give us so graciously in the scriptures. Uh, we thank you for this um, insight that we have, the, the, the revealing of yourself through Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray now that as we hear this passage read out for us and as we reflect on it and respond to it, please work in our hearts by your spirit. Please take your word and Work it deeply into us that we might be changed by it, that we might live more and more to the praise of your glory, that you might grow us into the people uh, that you want, want us to be, that you desire us to be. Father, give us soft hearts before you and your word. Give us a mind that's ready to understand it and able to and uh, wills that um, are ready to obey. And we pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Reading from John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Well, friends, uh, last year in America there was a remake of a 1950s show. I never, I've never seen it. Um, but the, the remake of the show was called To Tell the Truth. A anyone uh, ever heard of this show? It was an American show. I'm not sure if it's any good, but the basic premise was uh, you get three people who all claim to be the same person. They come in and uh, the three people sit down, and then you have a panel of celebrities who ask these three people uh, questions about... Um, uh, try to figure out who, which one of them is the real thing. So one of them is the person that they're claiming, the other two are kind of trying to 
convince this panel of um, celebrities that they're the real thing. Uh, anyway, at the end of the program, uh, the host delivers a line which has become a bit of a catchphrase. Um, uh, so after all the celebrities have asked them, the host says, Will the real so-and-so please stand up? Will the real person please stand up? It can feel, it seems to be, it can feel a little bit like that when we come to Jesus. It can feel a little like that. Everyone wants to have Jesus on their side and it can be so easy to come up with uh, so many different versions of Jesus that it can be hard to know which is the real one. Just excuse me a minute. And to get my clicker out. Uh, it can be hard to know which, is, which version is the real one. See if any of these popular versions of Jesus ring any bells for you. Uh, you might get the guru Jesus. Uh, Jesus is a kind of wise, enlightened teacher who floats 10 centimetres above the ground and sort of hovers along, giving, uh, dispensing safe and uplifting platitudes. Uh, or maybe, maybe you, you've come across political Jesus, this can, political Jesus can kind of emerge whether you're right or left. Jesus can be used to push your political agenda. He's either a free market loving capitalist or a progressive revolutionary socialist. Um, uh, but maybe you've heard of this, uh, uh, what I'm calling best friend Jesus. He's, Jesus is your bestie, your BFF. Uh, he gives you warm hugs and approves of you without any reservation of any choice you make, just so long as it makes you happy. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you, uh, uh, some people will have a, a kind of, this is, this is legalist Jesus, he, who, he, he's, he gives black and white rules, he's more interested in tradition and procedure than relationship. Well, you could go on and on, right? You can, you can kind of go on and on about different versions of Jesus that are out there. Uh, each of them, it, I think each of them gets at something. Each, each of them gets at some sort of truth about Jesus, but they all end up so distorted that if you follow them, you'll miss the real thing. The danger is that when ultimately the real Jesus really does stand up, we won't recognize him. Uh, the problems come when we start to shape Jesus in our own image. Um, so he kind of starts to reflect me <laughs> and my thoughts and desires and intuitions. Um, but we don't have to go there. God has given us the precious gift of his word, the Bible. Now, this Bible that is one unified story from cover to cover that's all about Jesus. Uh, in particular, God has given us these four accounts of Jesus' life in the, what we call the Gospels. For gospel, if we're going to see the real Jesus, if we're going to get to know him, the Gospels are the best place to start. One of the things that's, though, as we, as we kind of do that, one of the things that's so liberating, but also can be pretty frustrating uh, for us, uh, is that as you read the Gospels, Jesus doesn't seem to fit our categories. Um, he doesn't seem to fit the categories we would come up with. You can't kind of put him in a box to bring him out when it's convenient for you. He's so much bigger than that, and he's on about something so much bigger than we could ever come up with. Well, over the next few months, 
really for the, um, most of the rest of this year. We're going to keep reading through John's Gospel, this magnificent book in the Bible. Uh, it's a, as I said, it's a series we started a while ago. Um, we're going to pick up where we left off. My hope is for all of us, uh, for all of us, that, uh, that as we sink our teeth into this Gospel, uh, we'll have our own false Jesuses challenged and my prayer is that we'll have our hearts set on fire by the real Jesus, the real Jesus. Whether you've been a Christian for decades or if you're not yet a Christian, encountering the real Jesus is a life-changing experience. Now, that's what John, who wrote this gospel, thought. Um, uh, there's, so there's these four accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible, the four gospels, and John's kind of different from the other three. Um, Matthew and Mark and Luke, they kind of have, they have more action in them, um, more miracles. But John's written in a different kind of a way. It's a really intentional way. He chooses really just a handful of stories about Jesus. And he spends a lot of time reflecting on them and hearing Jesus' own words about them. Right at the end of the Gospel, he um, fills us in on why he does this. He says in chapter 20, right at the end, towards the end, he says in verse 30, uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, see, he calls these things signs. Um, they're like signposts pointing to a deeper reality. Um, they point to who Jesus really is. The reason John's chosen these signs to put in his gospel is so that you might believe that Jesus is, you might believe in the real Jesus. Uh, you might believe that he is the, the Messiah, that God's promised king uh, and the son of God. And why this is such a great book to read, um, its goal is to show you who Jesus is through these signs but more than that, actually, uh, its goal is to convert you, um, to change you. If you're not a Christian, John, this gospel is written for you so that you might become one. Uh, if you are a Christian, John is written for you to feed your faith, to deepen your confidence in the real Jesus. For all of us, you see the outcome that's promised here that by believing you might have life in his name, nothing less than life, real, full, satisfied, eternal life is on offer here. Um, John, so he uses these signs, this idea of these signs, the things that public things that Jesus did that point to who he is. He uses them, um, and if you're here forever ago, maybe you remember we talked about this, but he uses them to kind of structure his whole book. The Gospel's written in two big parts. After the introduction, if you know anything about John's Gospel, uh, this introduction to Jesus, the, the eternal word. Um, after his introduction, the first half is what often gets called the, the book of signs. This, this is where we are at the moment. Um, Jesus shows his glory. He proves who he is and teaches about what that means. And then in the second half, it kind of shifts gears, and we'll get to that in about 30 years at the rate we're going. 
Um, <laughs> maybe, hopefully, uh, earlier than that. Uh, he shifts gears in the second half. Um, uh, and as Jesus heads towards his own death and resurrection, and, and that's what gets people call the book of glory. So you've got these kind of two big halves to John's gospel, this book of signs, and then shifts gears to this book of glory. Uh, what it's going, what's it going to mean for this one, this great word of God, what's it going to mean for him uh, to be glorified? It'll mean, and what we'll, what we'll see as we get there eventually, it'll mean his own, his own brutal death and his own glorious resurrection. The gospel finishes and, and finishes off with a kind of ending that Jesus, this risen Jesus commissions his disciples and giving them work to get on with. So, so far, um, uh, we've looked at three of Jesus' signs. Uh, uh, the turning of the water into wine. He goes into the, the temple in Jerusalem and clears it out, and he heals the official's son. We're going to jump in at the fourth sign, though, okay? <laughs> Here in chapter 5. That's just to kind of give you a bit of, uh, to orient us to where we're up to, because it's a new series, so it's worth doing. Um, so you read about this fourth sign, though, and if uh, Hopefully, um, if you have a church Bible, there's, there's a marker in there. Helpful to have that open. It'll be up on the screen too, though. We read about this fourth sign in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 5 that Sarah read out for us. Jesus heals this uh, man who was paralysed. He says to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man is cured, he picks up his mat and walks. It's recorded for us, these signs are recorded for us as real history. Um, If you were there, you'd be able to see it. You would have seen it happen, you would have talked to people who are around, you would have seen the look of amazement in this guy's face. All the signs are written like that, as real historical events. They're not meant to be read as nice myths or parables. Uh, They're the incredible account of God himself breaking into his creation uh, but do you notice some of the things kind of around this miracle? This, I mean, on one level, it's pretty simple. Jesus says to this guy, get up and walk. But there's a whole lot going on around the edges that give us this real texture and colour about this sign. Uh, in verse 1, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. We're not told which one, but... Um, so he goes up to Jerusalem and... Uh, if you've read through John up to this point, uh, you might remember that um, the last time Jesus was in Jerusalem was back in chapter 2, and that's when he kind of did this incredible clearing out of the temple. The heart of Jewish life, he clears it out with a whip. Uh, so there's things, he's going back to Jerusalem, and things are a little bit charged. He's, he- he's there for a festival. Um, Jewish life was all ordered around these festivals that took them through the year. They're kind of high points of the, the year. Uh, so it has, has this real charged kind of atmosphere. Uh, but instead of going to the temple again, Jesus um, heads for the pool outside of the temple, um, this pool uh, near, uh, near a gate called the Sheep Gate. Um, this is a bit of a kind of artist's representation of what that probably looked like. Um, Probably this, pool, uh, probably this was the pool that the sheep that were used in the temple for the sacrificial system, this is probably the pool that they were washed in. 
uh, before being taken into the temple, but it was also the place where people who had disabilities came. Apparently the waters would get stirred up at times uh, and a, a belief developed that when the waters were stirred up, the first person who could get in at that point would be healed. Um, so you get this picture. Uh, it's, it's a pool that's pretty dirty. It's got the sheep being washed in it. It's uh, surrounded by those pe- people um, who were really on the margins of society. Um, it's not the sort of place you might expect Jesus to go to if you had a particular view of him, but that's exactly where Jesus goes, right? And we're introduced in verse 5 to one of the people who lay there. Um, he was paralysed. Um, with that's Yeah, he was paralysed. He was unable, unable to walk. Uh, and he'd been that way for 38 years. 38 years. It's a huge number of years especially in this kind of time when a poor um, man in his situation was doing really well to get to 40. Um, it's a huge number of years. The, the, the vast kind of bulk of his life, he's been paralyzed. He's been unable to walk around. And Jesus goes to this pool. He's looking around at this scene of real kind of sorrow, right, <laughs> and sadness. So he sees this man... He learns how long he's been there, he's been in this condition. Um, And he takes initiative with him. He goes over to him. Jesus goes to him and then he asks this really strange question in verse 6. You notice that? Um, He goes over to him and asks, man who has been in this condition for 38 years, who's had your life ruined by it, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? It's kind of a strange question, isn't it? Um, of course he wants to get well. Um, well. What's going on here? I I think Jesus is trying to draw this guy out uh, to get him to share what, what he thinks is blocking him from getting better. Um, because Jesus... And what we're going to see throughout this little interaction is Jesus wants to take this to the next level. He wants to take it to a higher level. Uh, he wants to provoke us to think what it really means to get well. What it really means to be well. Just hold on to that thought because we'll come back to it. Um, but the man is desperate, right? He says in verse 7, he's got no one to help him into the pool. Uh, he, his hopes are pinned on this one chance, right? This one chance. And every time he tries, someone else jumps in before him. Um, he's not just paralyzed, as we said. We, we, he's been that way for 38 years. Now, um, I think there's some among us with some, sort of me- with some medical kind of experience or training. You could fill us in more about that. But uh, from what I understand, it, it takes actually a matter of days or weeks of not using your legs for them to start to uh, kind of feel that and not and, and waste away. And this guy has had almost four decades, which makes Jesus' healing of him all the more remarkable, right? Uh, it's not just kind of fixing up a minor problem. It is a total miracle. It is an, it's an act of recreation, <laughs> For this guy. And he does it with just a word. There's no performance. 
Uh, he doesn't work himself up to it. All he does is, with just a word, says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. That's it. And at once, immediately, this man's spine and his legs are, they are renewed by the same voice that gave them life in the first place. And he gets up and walks. Um, but you'll see, you'll notice as we read on, it's not long before trouble starts brewing. Um, we're told, in, we, as you keep reading verse 9, it, this takes place on a Sabbath. Uh, the Jewish day of rest, our Saturday. Uh, this guy's, so you get this picture, he, he's, he's road testing his new legs, uh, he's carrying his mat, and the Jewish leaders grab him, and in verse 10, they accuse him. It is the Sabbath... The law forbids you to carry your mat. Interesting, isn't it? That's the first thing they say to this guy who has been paralyzed for 38 years. Not, isn't that great? (laughs) No, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. We're going to come back to this next week, so we won't talk much about it this week. The controversy over the Sabbath here, where it kind of kicks off here, it, it erupts into this full-blown conflict between these guys, the Jewish leaders, and Jesus. Um, But what's really interesting here is that the Jewish leaders, actually, they're technically wrong. Um, The Old Testament law didn't forbid you from carrying a mat on the Sabbath. Um, What had happened was, over the years, a whole set of extra laws had been sort of added around the edges. A whole set of extra laws had been added in, made by the religious leaders... Uh, And one of those extra laws, not from the Bible, but that was kind of added in over time, one of those was, see, what they they didn't want to get anywhere near breaking the rules, so they made the rules much, much more strict. Uh, And one of them was, you weren't allowed to carry anything on the Sabbath from one house to another. Um, And so when these leaders really should have been rejoicing with this guy, um, all they can see is he's broken one of their rules. And then you, you notice in verse, um, verse 11, as you, as you read on, the man says back to them, he, he, he kind of, in a way, he kind of shifts the blame from himself uh, onto Jesus. He, def- he says, uh, well, the man who made me well said to pick up my mat and walk. Uh, and when he's asked, he, he has no idea who it was. Jesus has slipped away into the crowd we're starting to get a picture of this guy. Uh, and as it fills out, this nameless man who's been healed, it's not necessarily a, a great one, actually. Um, Jesus has done this incredible thing for him. But he doesn't thank Jesus, uh, he, or he doesn't even, at the time, bother to ask what his name is. He just walks away. Um, in the other healings, we're often told in, in the Gospels, we're often told that people put their faith in Jesus, they follow him. Uh, but here the man seems to just walk away. And at the end of the story, in verse 15, he goes back to the leaders and kind of dobs Jesus in. Um, he's the one who did this. But he's, I think this is just stunning, friends. Uh, it, Jesus isn't finished with him, Right? Uh, Even someone who doesn't respond to Jesus rightly, even someone who takes him for granted, Jesus still goes after them. 
seeks them out. Verse uh, 14, Jesus finds him later on in the temple. Uh, he finds him in the temple, seeks him out, and he says something. This, this is something even more bizarre than do you want to get well, right? <laughs> what Jesus says. See, you are well again, he says. Then this, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. This is a, a, a pretty puzzling thing that Jesus says, I think. Um, one way of reading it is that Jesus is saying that this guy's disability was a, a direct kind of result of his sin. Uh, and he's warn- Jesus is warning him about a worse physical condition that'll happen if he doesn't stop sinning. There are times in the Bible where you get sort of pictures like that, where God does bring specific judgment on people's specific sins. But Jesus is really clear in other places that we shouldn't assume that, we shouldn't read that into every situation. There's no simple kind of link of cause and effect between someone's sin and their suffering or their sickness. Uh, we're going to see that later in chapter 9 of John. There's, uh, Jesus is really clear about that. And there's an important idea across the whole Bible of uh, humanity's, of, of a kind of general brokenness, a general brokenness that comes from humanity's sin which has distorted everything. Um, and we all feel that, right? It doesn't mean that the brokenness that we feel, it, it may, um, it, it may, but it doesn't mean it necessarily is a direct kind of result of our sin. But what about this guy? I, I think there's something else going on here. Um, I think what Jesus is doing is he wants to raise the issue of what real sickness is and of what it means to really be well. Um, I'll, I'll fill that out a little bit. Uh, see, as terrible as this man's condition was, and it was terrible, wasn't it? It was terrible. A poverty-stricken, um, paralysed beggar for 38 years... Uh, if you're blessed with a body that more or less works, think about how life would be if you had to be always carried just to do the basic things of life. Some of us do know something of that, um, either as carers for those or all those who find our bodies not working like they were made to. Uh, think about, or, uh, on the other hand, think about a life where you couldn't work for money. There was no Centrelink and you just had to lie and beg for whatever you could take. It's hard to imagine a worse condition than this man had, right? But Jesus sees things differently. And this is where, it, uh, this, is where this story gets a little confronting, I think, for, for us. Uh, he takes the wor- this kind of worst of the worst situation and he says... There is something even worse than that. And this something is the, re- the result, the outcome of our sin, of our rejecting of God's rule over our lives, of our putting ourselves in God's place. Jesus, I think what Jesus is doing here is he's raising this to the level of eternity. He doesn't want us just to take things in terms of this world here and now. 
there are greater things at stake. And unless this man has his sin dealt with, even though he's been physically healed, something far worse awaits him. He will face God's judgment on his sin. We're going to see next week that Jesus goes specifically into this more more kind of detail next week. But it's worth seeing that if we're going to know the real Jesus, we've just got to get rid of the BFF, my best friend Jesus, um, who never judges the choices I make so long as I'm happy. The real Jesus the most influential person in history, the one who was worshipped and followed by more people across the globe today than anyone else, the one who countless numbers claim has given them meaning and life. The real Jesus believes in God's judgment. He believes in sin. And he believes that unless sin is dealt with, unless it's stopped, it leads to something far worse than this man's 38 years of misery and pain. There's only one way that we can receive this word from Jesus and not be overwhelmed by it. Uh, and that is to keep, to keep on getting to know and see the real Jesus. Because he, he doesn't leave things here. He wants us to hear this warning. But we're also meant to follow the sign. We're meant to follow the sign. The one who warns is also the one who heals. He healed this man, he recreated his legs, but that's just a signpost pointing to something much better, more wonderful and eternal, a healing that he gives to all who trust him. This is why there's another version of Jesus that's so very wrong. It's called the prosperity Jesus. It's a view of Jesus that says his main interest in you is that you have a healthy and wealthy life here and now. It's wrong. It's, wrong. it's not wrong because it offers too much. It's actually so wrong because it offers far too little. The problem is far deeper than being sick or poor. And Jesus offers something far better than a few dollars in your bank account and a body that will work okay for a few short years. The real problem Jesus comes to address is our sin that leads to God's judgment. And the real solution he gives us is eternal life. Real life, renewed, perfect bodies in a renewed, perfect world, free from sin and suffering and sickness and death. It's a challenge for us. I feel this. Maybe you do too. I think this is a real challenge for what we see as really important in life, isn't it? Uh, Our culture, our world, I think, can idolise things like health and wellness, Uh, It's not uncommon to hear people say that what's the most important thing about life is being healthy, right? Uh, And and I think that can kind of unconsciously creep into us as Christians too, a a way we just subconsciously think about life. Our prayers 
can be more focused on our health than our holiness. Uh, Our energy can be more focused on fixing and training our bodies than fixing and training our souls. Our bodies bodies are important. They are precious gifts from God that need to be um, received with thanksgiving and treated with care. But in this fallen world, they are bound to decay and you can be the healthiest person in the world and you'll still face God's judgment. But you can also have the most broken and weak body here and now and enter into the life of the world to come happy and holy and full of God's love and joy and peace through Jesus. So, friends, here is Jesus' offer to you. Um, The whole of John's Gospel, the whole of John's Gospel leads up to Jesus' own death and resurrection. Uh, This this one who had the power to recreate limbs uh, let his own limbs be nailed to a cross in order that he might take God's judgment on sin for you. And this one who had power to renew life, uh, he rose with eternal power over death and sin so that whoever trusts in him, as we've already seen in John's Gospel, most famous verse in the Bible, whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. That's what we remember as we share in the Lord's Supper together. Friends, don't be like the man in this story who took Jesus' gift for granted and walked away. In his death, Jesus has given you the far greater gift. And the only right response, the only response that recognises the magnitude of Jesus' gift is to yourself be filled with thanks and awe at how much he has loved you. Perhaps you're not a Christian with us this morning. Um, you're really welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Um, this is a meal Christians have shared in uh, ever since Jesus, and it's a symbolic meal that points to, it's like another sign, it points to the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, it's a meal that points to that as the centre of our lives, it's the centre of all history. Um, if you're not a Christian, and as the, the bread and the juice comes by, perhaps just let it pass you by and, and reflect on some of the things you've heard. It may be, though, that God has been stirring your heart, and he might even be doing it right now, perhaps even for the first time, maybe for the 50th time, but maybe even for the first time you've, you've seen Jesus for who he really is. You've heard his warning and you've heard his wonderful promise that, and you want to entrust your life to him. Uh, as the bread and juice come around, uh, friends, take Jesus, take his offer of safety from judgment, take his promise of a new life and forgiveness. We'll do that in a moment. We'll Sharing the Lord's Supper, I'll pray for us though before we move on to that. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for this wonderful 
gift of your word. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, keep us from um, buying into false visions of who Jesus is. Help us to uh, ourselves train ourselves and um, encourage each other to keep seeing the real Jesus, that the Jesus that um, we have in the scriptures. Lord, help us not to be distracted by um, things in this life that we forget eternal realities that Jesus points us to. Lord, we're conscious that our sin cuts us from you and places us under your judgment. Uh, But Father, we rejoice and we're so thankful that you have dealt with that in Jesus. You have uh, paid the price for our sin and made it possible for us to be in eternal living relationship with you. Please fuel our hearts as we take the Lord's Supper, we pray. We, we pray that that might again direct our gaze to the reality of who you are and what you have done for us in Christ and what that means for us. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.